Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. For God, who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. I want to read that one more time, and it's for this reason I want to repeat it, is that we oftentimes read of these verses kind of with religious ears on, and uh, we don't stop and really think about what we're reading. I want you to really think about what, what uh, Paul is saying here through the Holy Spirit. God said, let there be light in the darkness. And God who said, let there be light in the darkness, made this light to shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. Wow, what a statement. This picture of our lives as a fragile jar of clay containing the perfect eternal light of Jesus is what's known as a paradox. Everyone say paradox. Yeah, so a simple definition of the word paradox would be a great truth expressed in contradictory terms. Think about it for a minute. We see the unseen. We have freedom in His yoke. We reign when we serve. We're lifted up when we humble ourselves. We win by yielding. Giving is getting. Dying is living. And the boundless kingdom of heaven lies within the finite soul of people who are saved. Divine paradoxes are the atomic particles of theology. They're created wherever the vastness of God intersects the weakness of humans. And without paradoxes, really, there is, there is no Christianity. A paradox, like I said, is a contradiction in terms that shouldn't fit together, doesn't naturally go together, but speaks a great and powerful truth. And so it's true that, that Without a paradox, Christianity doesn't exist. Christianity is a paradox. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, in fragile vessels of earth. Hallelujah. And you know, there are paradoxes all throughout the Bible. In fact, when you look at the people that God chooses, that God calls, not the mighty, not the strong, not the... Not the when he went to the house of David, for example, to, to pick a king, he goes through all seven boys. The one that, he, that, that God had chosen, David, wasn't even there. They didn't even bother to bring him. They didn't think he was even worthy of consideration. A paradox. God's men and God's women are always living paradoxes. Look at your own life. Take an honest look. Are you not a living paradox? Of course you are. 
Paradoxes are created when the vastness of God intersects the weakness of humans. For when heaven touches earth, in a believer's soul, a living paradox is birthed. And it causes God to speak concerning you, saying, those things that be not are. God calls the things that be not as though they were. And that's a living paradox that he brings into our life. Paul testified about his own life as a living paradox when in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, God told me, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. There's a paradox. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses, Paul goes on to say, so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Folks, when life becomes hard, remember you're a living paradox and pray to the treasure of God's love that he has installed inside of you. Because living in God's love is living in His presence. It's one thing to know that God loves us. It's another thing to let God love you. Amen. Think about it. God has called you not to know that you are an object of His love, but He's called you to let Him love you. And loving you he awakens you, puts his love in your life, and gives you what you didn't have before so that you can love him back and so that you can love others. That's what happens. We become a living paradox. The more profound your life of failure and sin was, the more glorious your testimony as God's servant. We see it in the life of the, of the Apostle Paul, who as Saul of Tarsus, was the antithesis of the devil's servant on the earth, attacking and killing Christians and arresting them and making havoc of the church, and yet he becomes the greatest apostle. Travels the Roman Empire, spreading the gospel everywhere he goes, a living paradox. And Paul said he wasn't getting stronger, he wasn't getting better at it. The longer he stuck with it, he became weaker. In fact, many of his epistles... He ended up writing from jail and from prison. Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Hallelujah. So living in God's love is how we live in his presence. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, Paul writes, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who He has given to us. So as we go through things in life with, with heaven on the inside, with this treasure in earthen vessels, God has set His Spirit within us and with the Spirit sent the love of God into our life we have this vast and wonderful, eternal 
treasure on the inside. When God, in fact, installed the Holy Spirit along with His love into your soul, He created a sacred space inside of you. That's why He said you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He didn't say that um, because He was trying to, to make a metaphor. He literally meant you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When you receive Jesus Christ, you're not changing your mind about history and believing, well, I guess he really did live. Oh, I think he really is the Son of God. You're not agreeing to assent to a fact. You are opening up your life, and God is installing an eternal, vast, miraculous inner chamber where there was darkness on the inside of you. Now there's a vast place, a sacred space in your life that no matter what goes on around you, you have heaven on the inside. Heaven isn't where you're headed. Heaven's where you're from. Amen. Hallelujah. When you're, now, now this doesn't make a bit of sense to people, people that don't know the Lord, but when you receive Jesus, you are born again and you know because heaven enters and heaven's on the inside. You're not praying out through the universe somewhere to some spiritual location that only God knows where it is, hoping that God will hear. When you bow your head, when you get on your face, when you get down on your knees and begin to wait upon the Lord, is He not right there? In the Old Testament, they called Him, hallelujah, Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is here. He's the Lord is here. Those prophets in the Old Testament didn't have what you have. But they knew that God was God who is near, God who is here. He's not beside me, He's in me. When I get alone with God and get down on my face and begin to pray, ever since I went from being a hardcore atheist to being a radical Christian, in one night when Jesus came and revealed Himself to me, introduced Himself to me, I've had this experience that when I get down and begin to pray, it's not sometimes but just a few seconds, sometimes maybe a few moments, but it never fails. I see in my spirit, in my heart, the Lord comes right up from within me as though I see him standing beside me and I just feel him putting his hand on my shoulder. And that anointing is there, that presence is there. I don't know why the Lord gives us these images. I don't know why in our heart and our mind um, he formulates these truths in these images that go on within us. But the thing I do know is I know that it's real. I know that heaven is real because I know that it is inside of me. There is a sacred space installed on the inside of every believer who has received Jesus as Lord. That's the place where you ought to be living. That's your real living room. Your real treasure, your real life isn't out there, it's in here. It's what makes what's out there livable. It's what makes what's out, it makes your marriage work. It, it makes your kids <laughs> worth spending money on. Um, you know, it makes your job that you get up and do redundantly day after day after day, a new adventure every morning. It's not what's out there. Your job will wear you out. Your wife will wear you out. Your kids will wear you out. You know, you won't be so quick to pull your wallet out. You, you know, that love can run out 
Are you listening to me? But on the inside, something eternal is springing up. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And Paul, Paul said, I rejoice in suffering and endurance and, and all that I have to go through because God's love has been poured into my heart through the Holy Spirit. And it created a sacred space, a sacred place wherever I am. I could go to that place. No matter what conditions I find myself in, I can go there. Paul and Silas found that out in the Philippian jail at midnight. Chained to the wall after being beaten for preaching the gospel. And they started praising God at midnight. Shaking their chains, praising the Lord. And uh, God got so happy with their praises, he shook the jail. And their fetters and chains fell off. Stocks broke open. Hallelujah. And the Philippian jailer and his whole family got saved. You see, that sacred space, praise the Lord, is not here on Sunday morning. I, please keep, come back next week. <laughs> but it's inside of you. Bring that sacred space with you. Glory to God. Can you say amen? amen. One of my favorite uh, phrases out of the book of Psalms is Psalm 118, verse 5. And the reason I love this is when I read it, you'll see why. There is a, there's a, a, a two words in there, a phrase, that have become so real to my life. And I pray that they become real to your life. Um, and uh, they really, uh, to me, they, they really are indicative of um, God with us, Christ with us. So, okay, here's the, here's the verse. Uh, the psalmist says, In my distress... I cried out to the Lord, and the Lord answered me, and he put me in a large place. He put me in a large place. He put me in a large place. It's that large place in you where God has made all the room you will ever need to learn, to be corrected, to correct your mistakes, to grow, and to be happy. Sometimes, life can be a claustrophobic experience. Um, does anybody here have a little touch of claustrophobia? Am I the only one? I've done a lot of flying international flying, long, long flights in my life. I started when I was a kid, and um, I, I discovered at some point that I was claustrophobic, taking long trips, getting stuck in that middle seat between two big people who didn't. It's not that they wanted the armrest. They could not have the armrest. There was so much of them, it just possessed the armrest. And there you are, and you're eating your little crackers and everything. You look like an alien sitting there eating like this. There's no room, and you're there for half hour, hour, hour and a half, two hours. Time's going, and after a while, it's like the brain in my legs start freaking out. The mind, the nerves in my legs start freaking out, and all of a sudden I realize I haven't moved my legs. 
in an hour and a half, I haven't moved my legs. And then I start freaking out about it. See, that's claustrophobia. I can't take it. i got to get up. But you can't get up because you've got heckle and jekyll on one side and the other, and, they, and you aren't going anywhere. And then your mind, and so I've been on flights where I've had to just get down and go, Jesus, and just pray so I don't pop a cork. Eventually you learn, pay the extra money, book the aisle seat. But claustrophobia is a terrible, terrible experience. Some people have very serious issues. They can't get in an elevator. They just go absolutely ballistic. So life sometimes is a claustrophobic experience. You become frantically cramped by your own mistakes. Have you ever been there? You, you've made that trip around that same mountain dozens of times. Why do I keep doing that? You become hemmed in and cramped and crimped and impinged by your own habit of mistakes. And the inability to explain yourself is like a gag over your soul. I remember as a kid one of the worst experiences I had growing up was when my mother, my mother and my father would ask me for an explanation of why I had done something. And I was trying with everything within me. It made perfect sense to me. And I'm trying to get it out. I'm trying to explain that they're not getting it. They're not picking up on it. They just can't. They, they're not hearing the words that are coming out of my mouth. And it... And I could tell by their reaction to me that they weren't happy. And nothing I was saying was making them happy. And, the, and, and as funny and humorous as it is, it, I remember it as being a terrible frustration, the inability to make myself understood. Now, as I got older, I realized, oh, they understood me fine. <laughs> So, but the point is, we get into situations in life with our loved ones, with our family, with our friends, with people where we can't move, we're stuck, we're, we can't move forward, we can't even shift to the, to the left or the right. We are bound up in circumstances, bound up in relationships through our own mistakes and, and the inability to explain ourselves out of those situations, I think is the worst thing of all. Everybody wants to be heard. Everybody, everybody. It's just human nature. Nobody wants to be shut up and shoved down and told, be quiet. Uh, you, you know, I'll tell you when you can talk. Um, we don't like being dominated. We don't like being bound and held back. But life does that to us in, in all kinds of different ways. We find ourselves in that claustrophobic experience in life. But when you get on your knees and you step through into your large place, come on somebody, hallelujah. No matter how claustrophobic it is out here, you get down and begin to pray. And you step across, hallelujah, into that big, open, large place, the secret place of the Most High. And you're standing under the shade of the Almighty, hallelujah. 
And you're in a place where you know you're understood. Papa knows you no matter how bad you foul up your effort to explain yourself. You can't put it into words. You sound guilty to yourself. I've gotten down in prayer, started to pray, talk to God, tried to say, Lord, now you understand it. And I just, I thought, I'm condemning myself. I'm like my own prosecutor here. I'm trying to explain to God why I'm the way I am. And every word out of my own mouth is making me look worse. But Papa, he knows. He knows me. He understands me. There is no love in this world in anybody that's capable of loving you the way your Heavenly Father loves you. Nobody knows you like God knows you. And He doesn't just know about you. He knows why you did that. He knows why you said that. He understands what even your husband, your wife, or your, your best friend doesn't understand about you. Can you say amen? amen? When you stand under the shadow of the Almighty in the large place, you know that you're understood. You're not afraid to talk about it, even if you know you're wrong, even if you know you've made mistakes. You're not afraid to admit it to yourself. It's there in the secret place. It's there in the large space, the sacred space on the inside of you that, that the love of God has created for you. It's there in that place where you can actually get it out and say, yes, I am foolish. Yes, I am wrong. You can admit to yourself what you will never admit to your husband or your wife because you know if you admit it to them, they'll never forget it. All you have to do is just admit it one time. It'll come up. That's, by the way, I didn't intend to turn this into a marriage class, but that's why marriages become stalemated. It really is better if you do admit that you're wrong. But, you know, we do play that game with each other. I'm not going to admit I'm wrong because she's going to use it against me. If I admit I'm wrong, he's going to bring it up to me. I'm not giving him any ammunition. But with God, he's not after you. Do you get it? He's not trying to take you down. He's so big. He's so full of love. He's so perfect. He doesn't need to play those kind of games with anybody. He knows that we need him, and he loves us. He's Papa. Can you say amen? So it's there on the inside of you as you commune with the Lord. It's that paradox of strength in fragility where your fears and anxieties fade and you trade with your Heavenly Father. You trade with your Father. You trade ashes for beauty. You trade mourning for the oil of joy. And you exchange the spirit of heaviness for the garment of praise. Hallelujah. You see, even in life's best relationships, we can come to the end of other people's tolerances. How many of you realize you can push even the people who love you the most to a limit? Human love has a limit. You can come to the end of people's tolerances where you become censored, where you become misunderstood, and no explanation that you offer for yourself is accepted. You are just in the doghouse. You see, in the world, there is no beautiful paradox. 
In the fallen world, there's just consequences. And they're not even fair consequences. It really is heartbreaking in the world to see the world throughout human history striving and struggling to find justice. But justice is an impossibility. Perfect justice. The best that we can do is have moments throughout human history. Conditions that are partial. We, we make adjustments among ourselves. Even, on the, even in the nucleus of society in our own families. We agree to disagree. We have grace among ourselves because while we don't necessarily agree with each other, we have to get along. We do love each other. And so we tolerate. But with God, His love is perfect. Can you say amen? You see, in the world, there is no beautiful paradox, just consequences. And surviving those relationships in the world, it's like surviving an amputation. It is. You come through alive, but you leave a part of yourself behind. Now, I don't want to see any hands here, but a few people here have been divorced. You've gone through the, you, you bring your life to the altar. You promise it to that woman, to that man. You have an expectation that for the rest of your life, it's just going to be Camelot. It's going to be wonderful. Um, and at some point, things just, just become different. And it gets so bad that you finally explode and blow apart. And there's this divorce. And it's like an amputation. You've survived it. But some of the love died. You came out like an amputee. You left part of yourself behind. By the time most people die and leave this world, they're usually a fragment of what they started out with. But not on the inside. When you're a child of God on the inside, there's a vast sacred space that just gets greater and deeper the more time you spend in it. I call it my sacred library. I have a vast library inside myself. And trust me, I need a library um, where I can go. And there are phrases and thoughts and ideas that, that, the, that the Father has taken me through and explained to me. And I might tell you about them and you'll be like, well, there he is on another, off on a tear. I have no idea what he's talking about. But they mean something awesome to me. Amen. You know, you have a conversation going on with the almighty eternal God on the inside. Boy, I tell you, that sets you up in life. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So, you know, no matter how much your natural life, no, no matter how much of your natural life the world bites and takes away from you, inside the praying Christian there is a place where the beautiful paradox waits with mercies that are renewed every morning. Hallelujah. Every morning, that mercy and grace of God is there fresh and new. You see, God's love working inside of you is the beautiful paradox of life. It is where the treasure meets the earthen vessel. It's what makes you a living testimony of God's love and power. That's why Paul said we have the treasure in an earthen vessel so that the excellency of the power is of God and not of us. And so it makes you a living testimony of God's power. It makes you a living testimony of his love to those around you who haven't received Jesus. The more time you spend in the secret place, 
the more powerful you're going to be in the outer space. Can you say amen? While the world around you probes your natural limitations, love, joy, and peace that God gives you just keeps flowing from your inner life. In other words, wherever you go through life, you carry your vast inner home within the compact vessel of your body and of your life. It's, if you will, your freedom in captivity. It's your large place in a claustrophobic world. The beautiful paradox that you carry through life is carrying you through life. You live and move within that which lives and moves in you. And so, let's go back to our verse that we opened with, and let me read it again, and after having shared what I shared, see if it doesn't speak to us a little more intimately. For God, who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made His light shine in our hearts, so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this shining light in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile jars of clay containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. If you'd close your Bible, I'd like us to pray together for a moment. 